Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales, airing on KCW. I'm your host, Ellen Frankenstein, with Rachel Thompson and Mitch Jurassic from Outer Coast. Excited to be here with a live audience on the Sitka Fine Arts campus. We're here in Clinket Ani, the ancestral homelands of the Clinket people, with respect and gratitude for this place and the people who have lived here and told stories since time immemorial. Our theme for this edition of Sitka Tells Tales is Language is Our Home stories that make us who we are. We have six stories from Outer Coast students featuring family, perilous journeys, and chocolate milk. Tales filled with hurdles, fears, realizations, and insights. Tellers for this episode are Jaden Cooper, Benji Kim, Samuel Walker, Gavin Tosh, Stiana Bukowski, and Mel Summers. We are so appreciative of the tellers and everyone who made this event possible. Outer Coast is so grateful to partner with Art Change and Raven Radio on this edition of Sitka Tells Tales. If you aren't familiar with Outer Coast yet, we are a new post-secondary institution here in Sitka. And Outer Coast offers immersive education opportunities here on the Sheldon Jackson SVAC campus for students from across Alaska and around the world. And we are excited to be welcoming our first two-year cohort of undergraduate students next fall. At Outer Coast, students form tight-knit, seminar-style classrooms, engage in meaningful service and labor in the Sitka community, and practice communal living and self-governance, all efforts that grow their toolkits to make change for their communities and in their own lives. Thanks so much for coming tonight, guys. An Outer Coast education is rooted in an understanding of community and place. Whether that be here in Sitka or another part of Alaska or even a home farther abroad, our students have been developing these stories about kind of personal moments and narratives that have happened with their relationship to no home, whether that be the people, land, languages, or cultures that shape them. The stories you'll hear here tonight are each inspired by questions from Ron and Susan Sconlin's 1986 Axe Handle Academy, which is a proposal that imagined a new approach to education for Alaskan students focused on relationships to place. You can learn more about the Axe Handle Academy by visiting the website of the Alaska Native Knowledge Network. We're so grateful to have our six storytellers with us tonight who've been nominated by their peers very graciously and have the opportunity to share their stories with the community here in Sitka and many listeners beyond through KCAW Raven Radio. With that being said, I would really love to welcome to the stage our first storyteller of the night, Jaden Cooper. Jaden comes to Outer Coast from Toronto, Canada. She's a talented artist who can sing you a ballad while painting a masterpiece. A very gracious uh, introduction. Okay, so a um, couple years ago, 2019, 2020, my family moved up to Fernie, British Columbia, for a couple of months for the ski season. Now, this is my dad's idea. He had lived there a bit before um, when he was younger. We moved with my dad and my mom and my sister. My sister was only eight years old at the time. My dad, if you can imagine, he has the long, flowing hair, big ski bum, loves to go, like, wake skating in the summer. We have a boat. So just to get a bit of an image of the, you know, the man himself. 
So he is pushing for us to go to Fernie, British Columbia in the winter to get the legendary Fernie powder. That's what he calls it. And so he's telling us all these stories about, you know, all the times in the past that he skied through all of this wonderful snow. And it was a good ski season, okay? So we were there, we were skiing, and it was a lot of fun. But I was waiting for the one day, for the, like, legendary Fernie powder ski day. And one night, my dad looks out the window, and it is snowing. He's like, get ready, everybody. We're going to wake up early tomorrow. This is, like, this is our time. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Whatever you say. So, sure enough, we wake up at the crack of dawn, and there is snow, like, just up past the windows. Out the window, it's just white. That's all you can see. My dad's already got, like, you know, he's like this, hustling out the door. He's got one leg and the snow pants already. And so we get all our stuff. We get into the car. We, like, fly to the ski hill. And everybody's doing the same thing. It's a small town, small ski town. So everybody has the dog in the car. All the kids are out of school. Everybody's on this, like, ski hill for this epic Bernie Powder Day. So we get to the hill, and my dad was there with his friend, and so, you know, they're both two really big ski bums, so my mom, myself, and I, or my sister and I, we all are like, you know what, you two, you can go off, do your own thing on the ski hill, no problem, and so they, they're all giddy, they, they leave, and so it's just my mom, my sister, and I, and, you know, it's a lot of snow to handle, okay, especially when you're eight years old, you know, just kind of figuring out the the ropes she's been skiing all her life but she's you know she's still a little just a little guy and so we're going back and forth I choose a ski hill she chooses a ski hill and we finally make it up to the top of the mountain and me and my mom are looking at each other and you know it is it's my sister's turn to choose a hill but we're like you know how how do we navigate getting down this mountain now because we're we're in some steep territory and all of a sudden we look behind us and boom she's gone she's gone into this bowl that's not that it just opened up there's like nobody there it's one of the hardest like bowls in the entire mountain and we're like okay it's gonna be fine breathe and we go and we chase after her and you know there's no once you're down in there there's no way getting back up so we're committed and we find this beautiful hill untouched no one's been there the snow is up to your armpits and my like you know my mom's like you know what Jaden go for it go for it have the first fresh tracks it's beautiful all I see is like snow and sparkles and I'm like this is amazing and then I look up the hill and I wait and my mom says Ellie go and she's like okay woohoo let's go one turn one turn boom she's down so we're feeling not so hopeful now and after a couple more times that happening, she's not feeling so hopeful either. There's tears involved from me and my mom mostly, a little from her. We're asking her, please get up, get up. We'll give you anything. She's laying there in the snow. I'm, I'm sweating. I'm not feeling good. You know, we're like, we'll give you cash. We'll give you anything. Please, please. And so finally... We make it down that hill. We saw all these people coming down after us saying, this is the best day of our lives. This is the most amazing stuff. And we're like, yeah, great. Good for you. So it's okay. We make it down in one piece after about two hours on this mountain. I kid you not. It was strenuous to say the least. And that's when you actually have to traverse across the mountain. So 
you know, doing one of these, the shuffle all across the mountain, which is a full other workout on its own. But we make it down, we get to the chalet, we meet up with my dad and his friend, and they're telling us, oh, this was the best day of our lives, the Bernie powder, so amazing. And we're, we're like, we come in, we take our helmets off, drenched in sweat, tears, blood. And, you know, we sit down and we're like, great for you, great for you. And... It is unfortunate that I kind of miss, you know, this legendary Fernie powder day that I had been promised all season. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's funny because that is one of my most cherished memories of the entire trip. And so although I missed the, you know, Fernie powder, I kind of experienced it in the best and fullest way you could. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Now, next up, we have a storyteller, Benji Kin. Benji comes from Guatemala. He is very passionate about alternative education, but mostly raccoons and shiny objects. Give it up for Ben. Okay, hello everyone. This story's a little emotional, so I'm just gonna like forewarn you if I start crying. Just pretend like it's not happening. We all have those sounds that we can always remember from our life. And for me, it's the pat, pat, pat of my dog going down our stairs. Towards the end of her life, she would go halfway down the flight of stairs and then she'd peer around the little like turn in the stairs so that she could see into the living room and decide whether or not there was anything worthwhile going downstairs for. She is um, my best friend in the whole wide world. My family adopted her in 2011 when we were living abroad in Guatemala. And um, she was a street dog. She was rescued off the streets. When they found her, she had um, rickets and mange. She was looked like a walking skeleton. She didn't know much fur, but she had a tattered collar around her neck. And she was spayed, which meant that at some point in her life, she had had a previous owner who probably discarded her when she wasn't a puppy anymore. Sadly, that seems to be a commonality in in Guatemala. When we adopted her, she very quickly became uh, a very important part of our life. It was our first like real pet, and she was part of our family, and we loved her very, very much. Growing up, both in Guatemala and then back in our house in Portland, Oregon, there were these little things that she would do, like going down the stairs halfway so that she could see. She would always find a pillow. We have this joke that if we laid on a tissue, she'd probably go and lay on it because it's her special thing. It presented to her. Like, she was just an important part of her life. She'd wake up, she'd do her little bow, and we'd start her day. About two years ago, when I was in my boarding school, or high school, I remember it was one of the first snowfalls of the year, and I was outside staring at the stars and thinking, like, when the snowflakes fall towards me, it's like the stars are falling at my face. And I was just staring up at the sky, and then I remember getting a phone call. I was like, this is interesting. I don't usually get phone calls at this time of night. And so I looked at it, and it was my, it was my mom. And I, I remember thinking, hmm, okay. And so I answered, and when I answered that phone call, there was just silence. I was like, hello, is anyone there? It's just silence. And I heard a little rustling, and um, kind of my parents together said, like, we have some information for you, and are you in a safe space? 
can you go find somewhere where you can sit down? You're probably not going to like this, this news. And so I was like, oh no, like what's wrong? So I went and I sat in the airlock and, um, which is like the double doors to get into like our cafeteria. I was sitting there and I answered the phone and I was just like, what, what's wrong? And it took a lot of crying and like whispering about like how to, how to say what they were going to say. And then my dad says, Charlotte's in the hospital right now. She had a seizure and something's very, very wrong. And we had to take her in and the doctor said she's not going to make it through the night. And it took me a second for that to like really sink in. And I was like, is this a joke? And then it wasn't a joke. And when I realized that I was so distraught, it felt like that world of just like the darkness of the night was swirling around me and it was like there and I didn't know what to do because she was that, that creature that would always be there and I could talk to her. She'd lay her head on my lap when my world felt like it was falling to pieces. And it was heartbreaking. I remember going into the lodge to get some water because I just didn't know what else to do. And I hate crying in front of people. I really do. But people said, you never show emotions like this. Something is so wrong. And then I, I just stayed out like all night, which isn't allowed, but I did it. And I remember my house parent took me into his house and I... It was way past curfew and I sat with his dog. I was just crying on the floor and my house, my house siblings came. They were all like around and it took remembering back to like, I'm not alone and that I had a community that I could rely on and that even though I don't always see that community or value it as much, they come to me when I need them and I will be there for them when they need me, but it took one of the hardest moments in my life to really realize the importance of having those connections. And I think about all the connections that I have in my life every single day, how lucky I am to have them there because at some point they might not be there. And so how much value do I put in them while I have them? Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, now let's welcome our next storyteller to the stage, Samuel Walker. Samuel's hometown is called View, Alaska. He can teach you how to shred black diamond slopes, hunt a seal, and rap a song all in the same conversation. As you're from Benji, I'm from Kotzebue, but I also grew up in a village called Buckland, Alaska, and this is where the story takes place. So around fifth grade, I always grew up skiing, like cross-country skiing and Nordic skiing. I grew up doing all that, and I really enjoyed it. So one year, the school held this little race, not a professional one, just letting you guys know. But the, the school held this race, like around 20 kids, and I wanted to get in it. So I got in it, and it started in the village of Buckland. It went down this slope, down onto the frozen river, down river a little bit, around this island, 
and came back up the river to the village. We went back up this slope into the finish line, and it was it was going to be the top five who got to travel to Kotzebue, which I did not live there at the time. So I think I placed six, and one of the kids could not travel because I think they were getting ready to travel for sports or they needed to practice, so I took his place, and I barely got in. So I was happy about that. Well, I knew I was traveling to Kotz, so my dad volunteered to take me there because we had three snow machines and three basket sleds. I knew I was going to be good because I was with my dad. Early in the morning, we went outside the Buckland School to get ready to travel, and it was me and my friend Robin in one one of the basket sleds, and my dad was driving us. And when you're out there in the cold traveling, my dad always likes to pack if we're going to get stuck out there for a couple of days. So we pack real good, even though it was just, just a day's trip, we still pack a lot. And... I'm so bundled up, I can't turn my head to look around. I have to move my whole body just to look. I felt tight, but I was really warm, and that's good. So we take off, and the drive from Buckland to Kotzebue with Snow Machine is about four hours, maybe four, four and a half, if you're taking breaks and stopping. So, But the ride is very beautiful and very just soothing, except the Snow Machine sound all the way through, but... Yeah, it's just very beautiful ride. As soon as we get there, they already set up for the race. So we got out, stretched our legs, got our skis ready, and hung out for a little bit until the race started. The race was not not that long. It was just three to four laps, and the distance was not far. But again, this wasn't a professional race. But I felt pretty proud of myself during this race because even though it was not long, I still managed to get ahead of high schoolers that were way older than me and I was just a little fifth grade kid skiing and I felt pretty accomplished but I really enjoyed this day and as soon as we wrapped up got to hang out with people from Kotzebue family talked to my friends we got all bundled up again back in the basket slid ready for a trip back home and so as we were going home as soon as we headed back to Buckling like halfway through the shackle connecting the snow machine to the basket sled unscrewed and came off from bouncing on the frozen uh, ocean. And so we stopped. He kept going as like, bruh, it just left us there. Bruh. Knowing my dad, I knew he was going to come back because he always told me, when you're traveling with the load with the snow machine, you always make sure and look back every mile or two just to know your load's still there and you're not just leaving something like human beings, but but it's okay. I wasn't worried at all. I wasn't calm either, but I was not worried. But as soon as he came back, we dug in the snow to look for the shackle and we found it, luckily. Otherwise, we'd have to makeshift something to tie it together. But we screwed it back on, talked about it for a little bit, and headed on our way back home. And so this beautiful ride again, it's very worthwhile. It was a good day. I went to sleep and the next morning, I was so sore I could not get up whatsoever. It's like my body was really sore from all the bumps sitting in a basket sled, bouncing for four hours plus. But overall, it was a really great experience and I just really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. 
Thanks for listening. Now let's welcome our next storyteller, Gavin Tosh. Gavin is from Palmer, Alaska. He is just as talented at digging into scientific articles as he is at climbing mountains. This story takes place back in what I am pretty sure is 2019, my freshman year in North Carolina on the coast. My family of like, it was about six at this time, we moved out of this tiny little 1,000 square foot, three bedroom, one and a half bath house into this much larger house. And this house happened to be directly across the street from the high school. So every day I would walk across the street behind this Walmart through a field and get to school. But the problem was since three middle schools all combined into one high school, I didn't know anybody in any of my classes. And so being a weird little awkward freshman, uh, I did not make any friends that fresh that first semester. It was a complete bust. So every day I would walk to a school and back on my own, my lonesome. Very sad. Anyway, the next semester I get into this, uh, quote, advanced math class, which is really just the sophomore math class. They called it math two. I don't know why. It was just geometry. But uh, I'm in that class and... This is the last class of my entire day. And so I found people who actually walked back home from school in that class. And so I was able to make friends with them super quick. I was always walking them home, walking to their houses, and then walking to my house, even though it, it took a long time. Needless to say, I made friends with them pretty fast. And we discovered in this math class, since there was a wall of windows just leading straight to that field to get back to home, We just jumped out of the window. Our teacher, he was always dealing with this one kid who was very rambunctious, classic surfer bro, like blonde hair, long, except that he was this complete stoner. He was, and he was always causing a ruckus in class. And our teacher was very distracted with him, which allowed us to always escape 10 minutes early and walk home very leisurely. That was really fun. But uh, one day, one day we devise a plan because we got a hold of $20. And $20, as you guys might know, to freshman and sophomore, it's a lot of money. And we, we devise this plan and we try to think of what is the best possible thing in the entire world. And it's obviously chocolate milk. Obviously. Come on, guys. Anyway, we take our chance since... This kid is being very, very disruptful during class. We take it, we leave like 45 minutes early. <laughs> uh, and we're just out the window, we slip away, no one sees us, it's great. But in order to get into the Walmart, normally you have to walk around this big, huge wooden fence all the way around, make a, a real long way to get to the front of the Walmart, even though it's right there. So what we did it was, is we searched along the back of the fence to the back of the Walmart, and we found this loose board. And we were so giddy. We, like, pry the board out, like, move it aside, like, squeeze through, like, barely avoiding these, like, rusty nails. And we get around to the front of the Walmart, and we go inside, and we buy ourselves chocolate milk, and we buy ourselves plastic cups. We bought, like, 24 plastic cups (laughs) for three of us. It was, yeah. Um, Anyway, 
We took that and we walked about 15 minutes out into this wooded slash like field-like area next to where houses are being developed. And this this whole way we're walking and we're like, we're laughing. We're so happy that we got chocolate milk and escaped 45 minutes early. We're like transferring it from each person. Like, each, oh, you, you hold it for two minutes because it's, it's heavy and it's cold. But we get to this place in the woods. It's just perfect. We find it. There's this log and it goes over this little stream right next to the woods and right next to the field. I'm telling you, mine was blown. All of us. The, the laughter and excitement was there. Anyway, we sit on that log for about an hour and drink the entire gallon, entire gallon of chocolate milk out of, out of plastic cups. And I remember that day, uh, I was thinking, wow, I'm so happy I made friends. This is, this is awesome. I'm having so much fun. And he's like my best friends. Anyway, like three days later, COVID hits. And then, man, we all have to go like stay at home, mask up. And I really did not see them again because after COVID hit, I moved back up here. And I don't think I've I've really made a friendship like that other than maybe one or two people in my entire high school year, years. It's just, it's amazing to me that the best friends I've had in high school almost entirely, I only was best friends with them for like three months. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Now introducing our next storyteller, Shayana Bukowski. Uh, Shay is from Hooper Bay, Alaska, and she had a knack for highlighting the joy in life and sharing love with her community. Thank you, Gavin. My question I'm answering comes from the axe handle question number 12 called how does your culture deal with outsiders handicapped misfits and exiles and i'm gonna tell you each part i'm from Cooper bay and i was raised by a community and an elder and let me just take you with me to my hometown called Cooper bay it's right on right next to the bering sea so like just use your imagination with me. Think of an ocean water. You're in, on top of the ocean and you're, you're just gliding through it and you make your way to sand. And this is where the water hits the beach. You're at the beach and you'll find yourself at the dams. And when you make your way to the land, you're going to find yourself in a community. And within that community, you have people. And within those people, you have elders. And our elders hold one of the biggest things I think we as people could ask for, especially being a young girl and having all these elders surround me with all the knowledge, traditions, language, etc. I would say that for me, as a young girl, I was mischief for a while myself, and I did get yelled at pretty badly by some elders, and I did learn some valuable lessons. I remember growing up, we would have nothing much to do, but we would have, like, gatherings, and it was, like, for Christmas and Thanksgivings and Easter, but during the summer, we would have this, like, 
group of people. And it was their first year. The first year going to the village. It was the summertime and we had this group of people, kind of like our group in Outer Coast, but people called VBS and that's Vacation Bible Study. And Vacation Bible Study is, to me, it was, it was like magical because they would tell me about God and they would tell the community about God and they would have us get together and like just put us in a happy moment. They were very curious when they arrived at our village. They were curious about our traditions, how we spoke some languages, what the food tasted like. The fish, the gudak. The gudak is Eskimo ice cream and a really tasty treat in line culture. But they gave to us and for them to think that they were outsiders wasn't necessarily how we were taught to call outsiders like in the axe handle question but we do not call them outsiders we call them visitors so when you come to my village my hometown you will not be seen as an outsider you will be seen as a visitor and you will be greeted with a lot of respect and i'm sure that if you go there you will have challenges but you will gain something from those challenges one of the biggest challenges is respect and i believe respect is in each of us and it's something we're all still learning to this day but the importance of respect is in each of us and our way of being and our spirit thanks for listening Now let's welcome our next storyteller, Mel Summer. Mel has grown up in both Massachusetts and Toronto, Canada. You'll often find Mel chasing birds and running around in the moon boots they often sport. I never got to know my grandfather because he died when I was pretty young. And... I always knew that his story was really important, but I never got to know it very well until fast forward 14, 15, 16, 14 years. I'm in grade nine and I am working on my final project for my film class, which is supposed to be a five minute documentary. And I had to do, I had to come up with an idea and I was thinking, you know, I never got to know him. What a great opportunity to make a documentary about something I really care about. And so I went to D.C. with my dad, and we went to the Holocaust Museum to do some research on my grandfather. And first, I went through the museum, and that was really scary and really horrific. And I knew a lot about World War II, but I never really seen so many images of it and I was old and I was young enough and old enough to really see it with my eyes and really feel it and so we went to the back of the museum where all the research is where all the files are and each person that they can get to remember their stories and we got my grandfather's file his name is Rolf Summer 
and we looked at his documents and I took lots of pictures. I went home and I made a five minute film made with paper animation and I will share his story here. Ralph Sommer was born in 1926 in Kuningheim, Germany. When the Nazis began invading, he had to leave his home because it was unsafe. So he went into France with his relatives and stayed there until it became unsafe again. And he had to leave and go work on his farm with another boy. And he was safe there working until they continued advancing. And he left to go be a camp counselor for the American Friends Service who were taking care of children of the refugees of the Spanish Civil War. And he took care of those kids with all his heart until it became unsafe there too. So he left. And he found these two Frenchmen who he became friends with and he trusted them. And they told him that they're going to take him out. They're going to they're gonna help him get out of France and become safe. So he hung around with them a lot until he found out, unfortunately, they were not his friends, that they were actually Nazi collaborators who left him on the tracks to die. And he was saved by a farmer, and she brought him to the hospital, and her father, she helped him get back to hell. And while he was there, he was eventually found, and he was brought to an internment camp where he saw trains leaving every day to take him to concentrate or take other people to concentration camps. So he knew he had to escape. He was just, he was, he was not safe. And so a smart guy, as he was, came up with a plan. And he knew that the commandant of this internment camp was a very angry man. Nobody liked to talk to him, not even the guards. They did not like to interact with him because he would get very angry and upset. So, knowing this, he went to the guardhouse, the gate, and he said, I was told by the commandant that I have to go get run an errand. And the, the guard, not wanting to check and speak to the commandant, said, All right, I'll let you go. And he walked out of there with just the clothes on his back, and he walked till he found a restaurant that would take him in and he worked as a busboy there and he slept in the back and while he was working since it was a German restaurant he was able to overhear the Germans talking about the war and their plans and with this he eventually joined the French resistance and he fought until the end of the war and then he was able to leave and come to the US where he met my grandmother Harriet Summer and they had my father and his siblings and my father Richard Summer met my mom Laura Miller and they had me Mel Marissa my sister my brother Miles and when I tell this story I feel not that I really believe in this stuff but I feel like he's here with me and he's proud that I get to share a story and I got to know him in the best way that I could. And it makes me feel proud of myself.
Thanks, Mel. That was beautiful. These stories do really remind us of connections and what makes us who we are. I want to give a, a huge thanks to all the, our storytellers tonight for bringing Sick of Tells Tales to life. That's Benji, Jaden, Gavin, Samuel, Shay, and Mel. All these stories of snow powder, chocolate milk, dogs, and love of home and place. And it's a good reminder of why we do Sick of Tales Tales and why stories are so important, especially during this time where we know there's so much strife and things that don't make sense. Um, so if you see these students on the street, give a shout out to them because now they're faces we know and they have stories. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks again, students. That was really, really great. Gunnels You also want to say a big Gunnels and thanks to the Sitka Daily Sentinel, Sitka Soup, and Raven Radio for helping us get the word out. To Jason Owen, our great photographer there in the back. Drew Sherman here at SFAC for us, uh, setting up this beautiful space. Becky Myers for radio engineering and making so much happen. And also Dave Immer, the editor of the Sitka Tales Tales podcast and the one who tidies up these live events for the vault and for future use. Thanks again. You can listen to these stories and hear Sitka Tales Tales Tuesdays every third Tuesday of the month, either a show from the vault or a live event. And if you want to tell a story, collaborate, or have feedback, please pass it on to us. Uh, look for Sick of Tell Sales on Facebook, Instagram at 14, the numbers 14 miles Alaska, and by emailing artchangeinc at gmail.com. And you can find Sick of Tell Sales wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you all for coming.